Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Alabama is the national champion again. A unique season that was soaked in uncertainty ended with the most predictable champion. To recap the Tide's victory against Ohio State, the season and to consider um, what is next for the Nick Saban dynasty, I will be joined by two guests, my friends Paul Meyerberg and Dan Wolkin from USA Today. This USA Today themed wrap up the season podcast has become a little bit of a tradition around here. Uh, The Crimson Tide conquered college football season in a pandemic with a perfect record and an all-time great offense, and there is no end in sight to their dominance. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Westwood One Podcast, Apple Podcast, just about anywhere you like to get your podcast. If you like what you hear, give us a good review and a good rating. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me for the final podcast, final AP Top 25 podcast of this college football season, the day after, the morning after, Alabama has won the national championship yet again, number six under Nick Saban. Joining me are my friends from USA Today, Paul Meyerberg. Paul, say hello so the folks can identify your voice. This is my voice. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning, Paul. And Dan Walken from USA Today also joining me. Uh, Dan, thanks for doing this this morning. Yeah, Ralph, didn't uh, we do this a year ago at the uh, Marriott on Bourbon Street? And boy, wasn't life a lot different? Yes, I think this might become a tradition. Um, not this, like having you guys on seems like a good tradition. We may have even done it the year before. The year before, I actually may have even had one of your other colleagues involved in this. Uh, so the USA Today AP merger day after the championship game podcast is becoming a bit of a tradition. But yes, I would much rather be sitting with you guys drinking coffee, looking out over Bourbon Street, or in this case, you know, Miami, uh, you know, Miami, downtown Miami, as opposed to all of us sitting in different hotel rooms doing this via a virtual studio. But uh, Hey, so guys, I thought about this, right? Um, about mm-hmm. we, how we did this a year ago. And my thought was not, oh, I wish we could have been together. It was, damn, I bet you there was a lot of COVID in that room, um, <laughs> like early January last year, right? You know, that's a good There's point. There's at least like a couple people walking around coughing and sniffling in early January, <laughs> mid-January New Orleans. Yeah, no, without question. It was definitely here in the U.S. before uh, before we realized it. You know, it's, uh, you know, without getting too di- uh, deep, deep into that muck, um, you know, around the championship game last year uh, and the playoff last year was when my wife, who works as an epidemiologist and, and you know has been dealing with this for more than a year, first started getting you know, warnings, essentially. The CDC was calling the New York City Department of Health saying, hey, we, you, you guys are going to have to mobilize. There's a, there's a you know, potential pandemic heading our, our way from China. So that started right around the, the very end of 2018, uh, which she got like the first calls. I think we were in Arizona. She was with me covering, uh, while I was covering the, the semifinal. Anyway, Again, we don't want to get too bogged down in that, but yes, it's very possible we were sitting in a room with COVID last year when we when we did this. 
And now we are here sitting in different rooms and surveying an Alabama championship. And I, I will go back to this, Paul. I want to start with you. Because last year we talked a lot about how LS, what LSU had done was unprecedented. And it was uh, one of the great offenses, one of the great teams in the history of college football. And you were one of the first, one of the only people I remember pushing back on that a little bit and saying, no, this is the convergence of the best talent, which is you know, what the SEC top school, SCT, top SEC schools usually have, and the best and most creative schemes. Like this is the convergence of the SEC embra- truly embracing the offensive evolution. And a year later, Alabama looks very much like that LSU team. Um, I, I think we have seen your prediction to a certain degree come to fruition. Well, yeah. I mean, first off, like that was it's not the track from LSU last year. Obviously, very good. And Alabama, I think, better this year. But LSU also obviously set the bar. Um. The history of college football, I mean, we've been on an offensive surge in terms of production increasing on an annual basis for 35 years. Um, Really since the early 90s, maybe late 80s, every single year you're seeing an uptick in in yards per game, uh, yards per carry, uh, yards per attempt, scoring. Um, And that, that trend just simply isn't going away. So when this hit the SEC and you saw the SEC fully embrace it, I just had the feeling, and and it's obvious now, that – this is going to be the new normal, and every single year you're going to see an uptick in production. Uh, this Alabama team was special because in terms of talent, it's hard to imagine a team and an offense being more talented at the skill positions than this group was. But um, look, every time there is a surge in offense and a change in offensive identity across college football, there's never some sort of market correction. It's not like there's been a decade of offensive brilliance that then defenses figure things out and send things back to the drawing board for a decade. Offenses have ruled the sport for decades. Uh, that's going to continue to happen. And uh, we need to become accustomed to the new normal being 40-40 football games uh, and that being the standard for this sport, that offenses are going to become so dominant if, as they already are that um, there's no defensive hero waiting around the corner to, to address it. So we're seeing okay. the beginning of it. Alabama did it great, but I, I don't know, Dan. I don't think it's 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 coming down anytime soon. Well, no. What I was going to say was, if if that's the case, like if that's where it's headed, then do you need to start changing the rules of the sport? Because I I look, I enjoy a good offensive game as much as anybody, but I mean, if that's what it's going to be all the time, I, I'm not sure that that is to football's benefit. But what do you do to change? Like, so the rules, I just use the NFL as the example. Um, you know, they changed uh, pass interference rules to make things easier for offenses. And then they changed the way that you could tackle, which is obviously a safety issue, but had the, the, the byproduct subplot of improving things for offenses. I don't know what you do rules-wise, regulations-wise, to aid defenses while also taking into account safety protocol. I don't know what that is. I, I agree with you. It would be great if they could do that because I think there needs to be more balance. I just don't know what is what there is possible to do while taking into account, you know, targeting tackling rules. Well, I so, think you would have to start looking at at you know man downfield rules in terms of you know kind of evening the playing field on some of these RPOs. Uh, certainly, potential more contact. You know, redefine what contact is between a receiver and a defensive back. Like I think there's things you can do. There's always ways you can. Uh, change the 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 sport a little bit tweak it uh, i i just think an offensive 
explosion that never ends. I don't, I don't think that's uh, not to, to quote the Nick Saban of old. Is that really what we want football to be? Well, and think of it from this perspective. You wrote about Mac Jones last night, Dan, and, and Mac Jones almost got lost in the Devonte Smith. You know, between Devonte Smith, Saban setting a record, this kind of the culmination of a of a strange season through COVID. Mac Jones had a game every bit as good as Joe Burrow had last year, and finished with a season that statistically very much looked like Joe Burrow last year. Now, I, I, I think Mac Jones has some limitations in his game that will make not – he won't be the first overall draft pick. But I, I, I think to a certain degree you can sort of see the evolution through him. Here is a very good player surrounded by great players, and he just ripped off this historic season, and it was sort of like, oh, oh yeah, that happened too. Well, I certainly would give him a lot of credit for that happening because – as I have tried to impart from the beginning of watching Alabama, like somebody actually does have to throw that pass and has got to put it in a place where the receiver gets it and make sure it doesn't get intercepted and actually has to see the receiver open. Like there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into being the quarterback. So I can't just say that, that, Oh, you know, it's the system and it's having Devontae Smith and all that. Like I think Mac Jones deserves a lot of credit for, for what this Alabama team was uh, but I guess, you know, I guess, I guess we'll see like in the future, they've got another great kid coming in next year, or I, I guess who's already on the roster and, and, and Bryce Young. And, and I assume he'll take over the starting quarterback position. I think Alabama's not going to be looking backwards. Uh, they'll have somewhat of a different offense. I would imagine because they're reportedly bringing in Bill O'Brien to, to run it because Sark's leaving. Uh, but I mean, to me, just, what it's showing is that when you match up these really good offensive systems with the best skill players, you know, which is what Alabama's always had, uh, it, it does start to look really, really scary. So, Paul, let me let me talk about a little bit sort of glancing forward because you touched on it here. I don't know if there's much more to talk about from last night. I mean, I, I, Ohio State ultimately was like as good as Ohio State is, and that's the thing. They, Ohio State is very, very good. I think defensively they were just ill-equipped to handle um, Alabama. Not that anybody is very well-equipped, but the way the, the way they were short on defensive back depth and had to play a lot of linebackers and at one point had tough Borland trying to keep up with Devontae Smith pretty much summed up where that game was heading. Um, but Alabama is about to bring in one of the great recruiting classes of all time, at least if you pay attention to sort of the number crunching that 247 does. So this is not ending anytime soon. We, we have come to realize that this is just going to be the way it is with Alabama under Nick Saban. They are going to be great. I do think that there might be a window of opportunity next year for someone to get them, though. There might be a little bit of transition year next year for, for a, a quarter of a step back for Alabama. Maybe, possibly. Yeah, I mean, obviously, everything being relative, uh, a quarter of a step back might mean they they still win the West, but don't win the SEC. That you know, that itself feels really um, unlikely. Like if they meet, if they make the SEC championship game, they're obviously I, I would think going to win it. But um, yeah, I, I, in the SEC, and you and I talked about this before the game last night. I think Georgia's got a really good football team next year. 
And I think bringing back JT Daniels and the way they played in the second half and, and the way that they responded offensively with um, with Daniels under center, I think bodes well for, for their chances with an, a complete offseason and a number of players coming back who could have opted into the NFL or not or not come back for a senior year. So Georgia's an intriguing contender. And, and I think that Alabama, if they do take a, even a slight step back, Georgia is, I mean, look, they've been knocked on the door for every year of Smart's tenure except his debut. So it would make a lot of sense to me that if Alabama does is unable to to maintain this pace, which just seems unlikely because it would be, you know, this was a historic season, that Georgia's there to pick up the, the slack and, and win the SEC. But look, to, if you've got Alabama anywhere except for your top three or four in your poll, heading into, you know, coming out of last night, looking ahead to 2021, then you're doing it wrong. Because clearly Alabama is going to be good enough, again, to win the national championship. Dan, is there anything left to sort of be said on Saban here? I, you know, I, mean, I think we've already sort of conceded that he is the greatest coach we've seen in this sport, and this is the greatest dynasty we have seen in this sport. Um, are we just – or is the competition simply relegated to waiting him out till he finally retires and decides to go do something else? Yeah, I really think so. You know, I think there was a couple years recently where – it looked like he was struggling to recruit a little bit because of age concerns. Uh, and of course it's all relative, you know, they, instead of having the number one class, they have the number five class. Right. Uh, but other schools, other coaching staffs were hammering him on, on age in, in recruiting and it was working. And then, you know, he tried to get a younger staff and that sort of worked on the recruiting side, but maybe it went a little too heavy on recruiting and and I thought some of their just general you know game planning stuff suffered a little bit. I thought you saw that maybe in the 2018 championship against Clemson where it really kind of felt like their defensive coaching staff in particular uh, was kind of overmatched. And now he's I think maybe recalibrated it a little bit. Uh, and obviously he'll have to continue to do it. Alabama loses coaches they're going to continue to lose coaches that's the price of success but I really do think at this point like it's just not if you're waiting for the, them to fall off a cliff or even to to dip you know that that one degree that would maybe cause Saban to think about whether or not he wanted to continue doing it like it's just not happening he's he's going to continue for the foreseeable future like there's there's really no end in sight at this point uh, one more on the other participant last night, and I'll go to you, Paul, and that is Ohio State. You know, it, 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 it seems like under Ryan Day, they have almost advanced to where from where Urban had them, which is, you know, hard to gather or hard to comprehend because they were so good under Urban and there was this, you know, they were so good last year and then they get to the championship game this year beating Clemson. Um, do you think that we are, we are in – on the verge of sort of a, a having Ohio State Alabama be what what Clemson Alabama was for a few years, um, the, is Ohio State can Ohio State get to that level? That's what they sort of have been chasing is that level. Clemson got there for a couple of years. I don't think Clemson's necessarily going away. Um, can Ohio State really truly get to Alabama's level, or at least get there on an odd year? to be able to beat them. Yeah, it's the second part, Ralph, because when it turns to in terms of getting on their level, 
Um, I understand it's one night and, you know, they were a little bit shorthanded and it's been a strange season. But from what I saw last night, Ohio State is not on the same level as Alabama as a program. Um, even against, you know, an, an elite Alabama team, they, they didn't look like they, they were in the same class at all. Um, but yeah, that's that's the key. As Dan said, you know, you're just not going to go toe-to-toe with Alabama and just supplant them. Like even when Clemson was doing it and winning two out of three and playing them another couple times, um, it never felt like, well, Clemson's number one now. They're the juggernaut. It, it still was like, well, they can give Alabama all they can handle. And no one else could do it. So Clemson deserved our, our praise and plaudit. But um, Ohio State is not going to get there, and they're not going to be the team that is like shoulder to shoulder with Alabama. But from what we've seen under Day, his ability to develop QBs, their own recruiting, which is at a ridiculously high level. Uh, yeah, Ohio State is the team, along with Clemson, if you believe that, that is going to challenge Alabama every odd year, every two years, every three years, and be in this position. Um, I think that's a safe bet. And, and obviously, we all know from the last couple of years of college football and, and this year, there's only so many teams every year who are going to compete for this. And if you really boil it down, there's only so many teams who every year you will say can win it. Um, Ohio State is still on that short list. And I think that's three teams or four teams and, and Buckeyes and Crimson Tide make up half of that group. So Alabama is going to be on a tier almost to itself because they're probably better positioned to sustain this level of greatness. And while other teams might be able to take, there's still going to be a, a teams in, in the next very high tier that can take shots at Alabama. The thing that I think has gra- you know, sort of grinded the sport into a bit of a mire recently is there's not enough of those teams in in the next tier. You know, Ohio State is dominating the Big Ten. Clemson is dominating the ACC with no real competition. Oklahoma has been scared a little bit in the Big 12. There's a, there's less of a gap, though Oklahoma might be bringing back one of its best teams next year. Uh, the Pac-12 is still sorting things out, and maybe it could have one of those teams. Is that is that what we're, what we're missing here, Dan? Is there a possibility of – like there are other programs who might be able to sort of get to this level at least occasionally, but even within these conferences, I feel like the reason why people are frustrated, fans get a little bit like bored, is because this all seems so inevitable. Not only from a national perspective, but if you look at the regions, and you, you, by regions I mean conferences, it seems like there's only one or two within each conference that that have separated themselves. Look, I think the unintended consequence of the playoff is that it's become sort of a self-perpetuating cycle where teams that have gotten in the playoff consistently uh, are able to go and recruit and say, we're getting in the playoff. This other school that you're looking at has not gotten in or maybe got in once. We're getting in every year. Don't you want to come play for a program that's going to be in these games that everybody's watching? Uh, the only games that 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 a lot of people care about in college football anymore. So that's one thing that I think is happening. But also, I would say you have to kind of spin it forward at this point and and look at what's going to happen when we get to the name, image, and likeness world. What's going to happen when we get to the kind of unfettered transfer world, which is already starting to some degree? Uh, does that 
put those programs at an even greater advantage or does it play to the favor of maybe some of the lesser lights where they can accumulate talent more quickly? I, I don't really know. I think it's it's up in the air as to how that's going to play. But you can't talk about this stuff without acknowledging that the world is about to change in a pretty major way. Yeah, I do wonder if, if those are potential um, um, levers for parity. And, and listen, you're never going to have real parity in college football. A, there's too many teams. B, um, you know, you can't build in rules like pro teams do as far as roster size and, and salary caps and drafts and things along those lines. Um but again, it does seem to have skewed one way, you know, very hard one way. I do like the idea. I'm with you. I think that's one of the reasons why the playoff will expand. So, so the Pac-12 can say, "Come here, and you can make the playoff." Um, not just not just schools, but the conference in general. Um, and I do wonder if some of those other things, name, image, likeness, and the transfers, will disperse a little more talent uh, to different teams and shave a little more off the top of some of these top teams. But uh, Paul, do you, I mean, I, you know, I think at this point we all feel like expansion is an, is inevitable. Um, have you, you know, back of the napkin, I, I do this a lot these days because I feel like expansion is inevitable. inevitable. I think do we, we sort of assume maybe eight, but is there something more creative there that you've come up with? Yeah, I do. I do one thirty. And I give the top two seeds a, a buy, right? Does that math work? I was looking at the wild card stuff in the NFL. I spent like 45 minutes trying to figure it out. Like one team has a buy. Um, no, I mean, it'll be eight and five, two, and then one group of five. Is the ex- I mean, I wouldn't say the expectation. That's my sincere hope is that you get the best group of five team in there. Even if you see them eight mm-hmm. and make them play Alabama every year, I, I think that's good for college football. Um I don't know if there's room to do more than that, Ralph. I mean, there isn't, honestly. The calendar doesn't isn't kind to college football. You can't go to 16 and push the year deep into January or, or start it in mid-August. So, yeah, eight's the way to go. I just I, I do want to see a group of five on there. Dan, I don't know if you agree with that, but I, I think that'd be really good for college football. And I think to speak to what Dan said about, you know, there being changes coming to college football – Obviously, Dan is is right, but I just don't. I don't know if that's going to solve what I think of as the biggest issue right now with the sport, which is that we've destroyed like the idea of a middle class program in college football, because there's just no joy at winning eight games anymore. Like winning seven or eight games is not cause for celebration, no matter who you are or where you are, because our standard for success is so skewed. So either you suck and you're the Jets and you're like, well, let's, let's hire a first-year coach who's 26, who's really good at Madden, and let's rebuild with recruiting, or you're really good. And if you're not somewhere, if you're in between that at any point, you're, you're not happy in college football, certainly on the Power 5 level, unless you're Indiana or unless you're Northwestern. So, yeah, I mean, you might add more parity with the one-time transfer and, and the, the fact that you could be on a billboard and de- Dubuque for 20,000 bucks. But I don't, I just don't know if that's going to solve like a deeper emotional issue. I think that college football is facing right now. I don't know that there's one cure all, you know, I think it's just a matter of, it's, it's a matter of taking a, a hard look at everything. And, and 
you know, I don't know that people actually want to do that. Like, I think, I think the fans of, of all these other programs look at it and say, boy, how can we really, you know, kind of rig this sport to, to level the playing field for, for us. But I, I'm just not sure that that's what the power brokers want. Uh, I've never really gotten that sense that, that anybody who's in a position to make decisions cares about the, that, that you've got, you know, three to set three to six programs who are going to take up, you know, 95% of the playoff spots every single year. Yeah, I think, you know, I feel like we, we, we talk about this and bring up the same programs all the time, but, you know, part of a solution, quote unquote, a solution is USC plays to its potential. Texas becomes a more legitimate threat to Oklahoma because it has conceivably with resources, the ceiling to do so. Um, Alabama has gotten so good that even the good SEC, the really good SEC programs are having a hard time keeping up. So that's a little strange. But, you know, if Florida State becomes a contender again, it gives someone, you know, it's a program that can see eye to eye with Clemson. Within the Big Ten, you know, you would think Penn State or Michigan would possibly be able to see eye to eye from a talent perspective with Ohio State. But that seems to have really gotten away. From, from those programs. And, and really, it's more Ohio State has gotten away from those programs. So, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think there's potential there for, for some teams to catch up and close the gap, but the, the gap is just so enormous right now in those conferences. So I guess what, what I wonder is if, it, if it's on some of these other potential superpowers to possibly start acting more like superpowers, that's not going to expand the group from four to six teams much past maybe six to 10 teams, but at least it gives a little more, you know, diversity, so to speak, to that, to that top tier and maybe get some different teams in there and, and, and get some different fan bases in, in, involved. Let me talk to you about, as we sort of wind down here, just to sort of put a cap on this season. Like this has not, I, you know, I, listen, I, I, I described it with, I, I think a couple of people as from, Monday through Friday, it, it kind of sucked. Uh, you know, it was it was the season was just soaked in COVID at, at every turn. And then on Saturday, we would show up to game day, and in some ways, the games would still be very enjoyable. Um, and it felt like you would try to be a normal season, and you'd try to have normal conversations about playoffs and Heisman's and, and conference championships, but ultimately. Everything was still soaked in COVID. Um, I, I guess broad question I'll start with you, Dan, is, um, is you know, sort of was this season worth it? Yeah, and I that's think a that's a hard question. question. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> no. here's the problem. Here's the problem. And, and what I've tried to do when I talk about this is to give some credit to the idea that everyone experienced – this differently. Uh, typically in a season, everyone plays their games and how you feel about it at the end is determined by how successful you were on the field, how many wins you had, what bowl game you went to and all of that. And, and there are some people who are satisfied with it and some people who aren't. This is a totally different kind of thing. And the, the experience of a, of a team like Alabama 
um, was was just vastly different. And uh, not even Alabama because they won the championship. I mean, let's let's just say Tulane. All right, Tulane ended up playing, I think, um, like all their games on time, right, which mm-hmm. hardly anybody did, right? Um, and, of course, their season was hard too. Like they had to do all the testing and all that stuff. But, like, compare that to uh, – I wrote about a story about this the other day, like a team like Charlotte that had nine games that were either canceled or postponed. Uh, at times – they were on the charter plane headed to a, a city and got the call and basically had to turn around. Uh, they were in Boca Raton in a team meeting three hours before kickoff and had a game canceled. So, you know, how everybody experienced this and just the exhaustion it, it, and, and also, you know, I know that everyone likes to say, Oh, nobody died. You know, the hospitalizations, Hey, a lot of people got sick. A lot of people, um, experienced COVID and it, it was not pleasant, right? Um, a lot of people had to deal with the anxiety of, of wondering whether they were positive or not. A, a lot of people had to go into quarantine and isolation because they got contact traced. Have, have you know, as, as the Joe fan out there had to go in the, into isolation for, for two weeks, like that's not fun, right? That's not, that's not what anybody's idea of a good time is. So um, like, I think it's just complicated. I think the whole season was complicated. Yes, uh, they got to the finish line. Uh, I think there is some uh, reason to, to feel like that's an accomplishment. Uh, but what was the actual cost of doing that, uh, I think, is is unknown, both to the, the health of the people involved in the sport and, and the public health element of, of, you know, you saw in Tuscaloosa after the championship game, thousands and thousands of people flooding into the streets. Like, what is what is the... What is the result of that going to be from a COVID standpoint in, in a week or two? Uh, like there's just all these things that, that are hard to measure. And that, so all I look at is it's complicated and it's even more complicated by the fact that these are so-called amateurs. Unlike the NFL where there's a clear sort of incentive and everybody knows what it is and everybody understands the risk and, and, and the level of precaution that you personally have to take um, and, and what – you know, what, what the out, what, what, what the, um, uh, you know, kind of if, if things go wrong within a team, within an organization, like there's a very clear uh, consequence to that with college, there was, there was none of that. It wasn't collectively bargained. Like there was no hazard pay or extra incentive for the players. It was kind of the same incentives they've always had. So that's what part of why I struggled with the whole season. And I just think success, not worth it or not. I, I just think, it's a very, very complicated question. Well, I'll bounce it to you, Paul, though. You feel free to steer it one way in a different way. I mean, you know, again, was it worth it or, or, or are you, are you glad it's over? How about that? Um, you know, did you gain some joy from this season? Did you feel at times that like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy we did this. Um, or does it even matter how you feel? Right. I mean, does it matter well, how no. I feel? No, 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 Ralph. No, no, it doesn't matter how I feel. No one cares. Um, um, and you as well. No offense. No, but, it's true. Um, yeah. uh, but look, I, this was a miserable season. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, it was a miserable season. Uh, miserable, um, not for coaches um, so much because they still got paid, um, and not for fans because ninety-nine percent of fans watch from home anyway, and certainly not for the media because who cares about us? 
but this was a miserable season, as Dan said, for the players. And I and I don't know if I actually I do know that there's a substantial disconnect between people who watch the sport and maybe even a number of coaches up until the end of the season between uh, how they perceive the year went and how the experience was for student athletes. Um, I think uh, I think it was miserable for them. And I just like if, if we could try just to like have someone understand, imagine going back to like one year of college and just having those memories stripped away. Like all those times you went out with your buddies or went and did this and all your social experiences and just have those memories erased and how meaningful that would be and how hurtful that would be um, to you as a person. And that's what essentially happened for these players and will continue to happen through the spring because that's what campuses are going to be like. So I, I, I feel terrible about that for them. And I think you saw what it meant um, in late November, early December, when programs like Pittsburgh and Boston College went into a room with their coaches and players and players were asked who wants to play in a bowl game and no one raised their hand and everyone just wanted to go home and see their family and get something, you know, have something nice. So that's my takeaway from this season. I can't, yeah, it was nice sometimes to wake up on a Saturday and watch football, but this is a miserable season, miserable season, and let's never, ever do it again. Right. And hopefully, you know, I think there's a lot of hope that next season will feel a lot more normal. I, I don't know if we're going to have normal crowds, but I do think, you know, from talking to people who sort of know these things, it's hard to predict the virus and you're not going to make any money betting on what the virus will do. Um, but generally speaking, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism that next season in many ways will feel normal. And most importantly, it will feel more normal for the players. It was just what you're talking about there. They won't be tested four or five times a week. Most likely uh, they, that, that, that fear of like, is this the day I get tapped on the shoulder? Like Wyatt Davis had said, you know, said, you know, the, uh, the, great offensive lineman from Ohio State. He's like, you know, it was just weird living through that. Is this the day I get tapped on the shoulder and told I'm done for two weeks, right? And and living with that fear was something that I think all the players dealt with. I, I think we will be past that next year. I think we will be playing non-conference games and I think we will be playing, um, you know, full slates starting on Labor Day weekend and everybody playing the same amount of games. Again, I don't think it'll be completely in our rearview mirror. There still may be players testing positive and maybe even some games disrupted, but I don't think we're going to have this. Again, I'm, I'm thankful to the players for putting up with this and the coaches and everybody who sort of put a lot ton of effort to get this done because I feel like, you know, A, it's my job and B, um, I gained some, you know, some sense of normalcy and pleasure from having them play on those Saturdays. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, to say it was enjoyable is, is it's sort of, you have to define enjoyable. So let's do this. Very last thing here is, I guess what do you, Dan? What are you most looking forward to in what could be a more normal season next year? And also, let's let's put it this way. Again, I don't want to end on too much of a downer, but but your sort of hopefulness that next year will look more what I just described, closer to normal. Well, hopefully, no more Zoom press conferences because those things were awful. Yeah, boy. <laughs> I mean, and again, like not that that you know, Joe fan cares about how we do our jobs. Um, but, uh, 
like it's 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 just not a great way to communicate and that's part of what what we do in our in our jobs in producing content is you you try to communicate uh, you communicate a question somebody communicates an answer what you hope is that that you have when you're face to face with somebody and the opportunity to to you know, sort of talk, actually talk to them as people, that there will be some sort of human connection formed that, that allows you to have a, a productive exchange of, of ideas. Um, it's impossible to do that over Zoom when you're asking like one question. And so I think everybody who uh, is a journalist who's written about college football has done their best and, and done a great job of, of, of doing this under difficult circumstances, but trust me, the the content suffers as a result of not actually being able to talk to people. What you're looking forward to next season, Paul? Um, yeah, I, the Zoom calls have been really bad. They were really bad yesterday um, <laughs> at the game. I don't know if you guys had an opinion of that. They were really bad. Um, I always find like the most enjoyable part, or at least like the part that is like the most unique and makes this job and this is kind of specific but makes this job fun is like uh, getting to a game day on a saturday when it's a really good game and you're walking from your car to the media entrance and then you're on the field until like 28 minutes before kickoff and there's a hum in the stadium and maybe it's like 7:25, and it's a little bit dark out um, and the music's playing and people are going crazy those are the kind of environments and emotions that couldn't be replicated this season and that are really unique to this sport so I'm hopeful, Ralph, like you said, that there will maybe there won't be the fans in the crowd to have that, but I hopefully we get close enough to normal and we're all still employed and we're still going to games and I can get that experience back because that's really special. And anyone who has had that moment can attest to it. That's just part of the fabric of college football. Dan Wilkin and Paul Meyerberg both work for USA Today. They cover college football nationally, and they do a great job. They're also my friends, and it was good to actually get a chance to see you both in a press box yesterday. It had been a long time for uh, that that had happened. I know very we all of us have gone to very few games this year, but again, it was good catching up with with both of you in person, even if it was from behind a mask and with a little distance in between us. Thank you very much for doing this guys. And I'm going to pencil us in for another season wrap up the day after the championship game podcast next year, when the title game I believe is in Indianapolis. So yep. yeah, uh, maybe, yep. uh, yeah, that'll be fun. It'll be freezing. That'll be a little different. That'll be a little different way to cover this thing, but I'll be, I'm penciling you both in again for next year. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Fingers crossed. And now three and out, first down. The final AP poll of the 2020 season hit the wire late last night. And by late last night, I mean right after about an hour and a half after the Alabama-Ohio State game. And I think the most notable part was not necessarily the powerhouse programs at the top of the rankings. Other than Texas A&M creeping up to number four ahead of Notre Dame, there were no big surprises. Uh, there were, though, eight teams from outside the Power Five conferences ranked in the final poll, including two Sun Belt teams in Coastal Carolina and Louisiana in the top 20, and two MAC teams, Buffalo and Ball State, toward the bottom of the rankings. 
I understand the truncated seasons by the Big Ten and the Pac-12 plus Power Five conferences, mostly playing league games, were part of the reason why some of these group of five teams ended up ranked the way they were. The weirdness of the season contributed to the final results, and I'm not sure we'll see another season or final poll like this one. But if all of it helps in some way, push forward more and better opportunities for these schools to show that they can compete against Power 5 schools, that could be a good thing for college football. Second down, this was supposed to be a big week for NCAA reforms, but the brakes got slammed on potential legislation for name, image, and likeness compensation and transfer rules. A warning from the Department of Justice about potential antitrust violations accelerated the momentum toward postponing votes on those items. I think eventually those things will get done. I actually think the DOJ did Mark Emmert and the NCAA a favor in this case. There is so much uncertainty with where NIL rules might go because Congress needs to weigh in and now there's a Supreme Court case involving the NCAA that will be heard this summer. The NCAA was holding to a self-imposed deadline of passing legislation this week merely to show it was being proactive. But the fact of the matter is the NCAA and college sports have now relinquished some of their autonomy by asking federal lawmakers for help on this issue. Passing legislation would have been more symbolic, I think, than productive. Third down, and finally, thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast this season. I hope it has informed and entertained you during a year that kind of sucked and during a college football season that might not have been as satisfying as usual. The season has been a grind to cover, and while I am so thankful to have this job that I love and really like doing this podcast as part of that job, even this was a grind at times. I often found myself a little distracted and not as prepared as I would have liked to have been because of the relentless torrent of news, striking a balance between keeping it light here on the show and talking ball and trying to cover all the disruptions and turmoil was not necessarily easy. I hope I did okay. I'm glad a college football season was played, but that the season was just slathered in COVID that playoff and Heisman debates became intertwined with the virus was kind of a drag. But when the games were played, they still provided a lot of good times. So thanks for making this podcast part of your season. We'll keep going weekly through most of the off season and hopefully with a return to normal, I can come up with some creative and fresh ideas to make the show even better in 2021. And that's it for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Sarah McCrory, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Westwood One Podcast. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week. Maybe next week. I might have to take a little time off, but come back for more soon of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. <laughs>